Good morning. Nice to be back with you. I was uh, here, um, uh, I think around Easter, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And um, I'm sure a lot has transpired in your life, as has ours, in, in, uh, in between months. Um, but it's good to be back with you and share again this morning. My wife, Lenore, is with me. And uh, we live here in Sioux Falls, uh, have lived here a little less than a year. Spent most of our ministry life, a uh, good part of it anyway, in uh, North Dakota. And um, I'm glad to say that the church we served, uh, after about a year and a half, has, has finally called a, a pastor. And um, so, so don't give up. Uh, it'll happen. You just keep praying and remember your search committee especially as they, as they do that, uh, that footwork. But uh, anyway, this morning I'd like to read scripture first of all. And um, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 4, 12 through 17, and then verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, verse, verses 12 through 17. And then 23. I'm not sure if... Am I on? Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Now when he had heard that John had been... When he heard that John... When John... Let's start over. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went throughout all Galilee. Teach, uh, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and uh, every affliction among the people. We join me in a moment of prayer. Father, we believe in the, in the God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we believe you have created us, created all things. And as we have just sung, we are dependent on you for every day of life and every breath we take. We believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, who, who died in, on the cross for our sins and arose from the dead and is alive today and ruling and reigning we believe in the Holy Spirit who has promised to be here, making the presence of God real to us and speaking through your word. We, we believe in your word and trusting, we trust today that you will open our eyes to behold what you want us to know and experience and do. So, so we do pray that uh, right now you open our hearts and our minds, and Father, you have brought us here this morning for, uh, to, to do your good work in our lives and in our congregations, and we trust that you are here doing that. We ask you this in Jesus' name, 
Amen. <clears throat> like, like many of you, I, um, I, I grew up in learning in Sunday school and, and church that if I believed in, in Jesus as the Savior, as my Savior, I would be saved and I would go to heaven when I die. And I still absolutely believe that. Um, that is absolutely true, and it's a vital, crucial decision uh, each person needs to face and make. And at age 12, uh, at an Evangelical United Brethren camp uh, for kids in uh, Lair, North Dakota, I personally received Christ as my Savior, and, and I've had the assurance since that day that I would one day be with Him in heaven. But you know, along the way, and perhaps like some of you, uh, I sometimes forgot to whom I belonged. And I was not always sure of my path in life. And I was not always considerate of, of the, the will of God in my life. And, and I began to map out my own course. I was so fortunate that in my first year of college, um, God sent some friends I never expected, I never asked for, but he sent these guys into my life uh, from a denomination I knew very little about. Uh, I just, you know, I knew some uh, by, who were Christians by name in my high school years, but these guys took their faith seriously every day. And I saw, I began to realize that my faith was more than just a ticket to heaven. It was that, but it was so much more. I saw that it was meant to influence every part of my life, everything I do right here, right now. I began to realize that when I accepted Jesus, I not only accepted him as the Savior, but as the King, my King. Jesus constantly talked about one, one thing, not only one thing, but one major theme uh, underlaid everything he spoke about. And that was not, uh, I mean, love, yes, love God, love your neighbor, that's important, but that's not what got him crucified. What is it that got him crucified? What was it that got the leaders so hostile toward him that they ended up putting him on a cross? Let me read you from verse 17 here in Matthew 4 once more. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In verse 23, he went through the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We see the same theme in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Again, in, in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he had been doing some uh, wonderful, miraculous things in the town of, and the area of Capernaum, and the people wanted him to stay, to stick around. And here's what he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. 
the kingdom of God. Constantly, throughout his, his earthly ministry, talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, that phrase is used 90 times, around 90 times in the Gospels. Uh, the phrase which means the same, but is the kingdom of heaven, is used in Matthew's Gospel 32 times. It's thought that uh, Matthew used that term because devout Jews often did not refer to the name of God. They used the term heaven instead. So they mean the same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Jesus always talked about the kingdom throughout his parables. You know, the, king, the, the parable of the mustard seed growing into a great tree. The parable of the, tr the, the buried treasure. Um, the king who gave a banquet and so on. We'll look at a couple of those parables in the next uh, couple of weeks couple of Sundays as we continue to speak about the kingdom. But uh, his commands, seek first the kingdom of God. Um, you must become as a little child to enter the kingdom. Or in John 3, unless, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Or at the last supper with his disciples sitting around the table. Remember what he said? I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. That's Mark 14, 25. Now, Jesus never gave us a dictionary definition of the kingdom. Nobody uh, that we can see anyway, nobody really asked him, what do you mean by that? They knew. They knew. And when Jesus came announcing that the kingdom of heaven was at hand or near, I imagine they raised their eyebrows and dropped their jaws because every faithful Jew knew what he was talking about. Every faithful Jew wanted the kingdom to come. They knew that their nation of Israel had been longing uh, for centuries for the kingdom to come. They were expecting it. And as a first point, I just want to say that this kingdom Jesus came announcing was anticipated by the Jews. You know, after the exodus, back in the Old Testament, after the exodus out of Egypt, and Moses leading his people through the wilderness wanderings, Moses was never called a king. He was their leader, but he was not called a king on his deathbed. Uh, he spoke this blessing in Deuteronomy 33, verse 5. He was recounting the history of this people. And he was uh, reminding them of God's mighty acts. And he said, um, I, he said, Thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun, or Israel, when the heads of the people were gathered. All the tribes of Israel together. He was reminding them that when the people assembled to receive the law which God had given through Moses, the Lord became king. In other words, Moses was saying, your king is God. It was a theocracy. There was no separation of, of church and state. Uh, God ruled his special possession through his law, through the leaders he sent. Some of those leaders were later, we know them as judges, don't we? One of those early judges was Gideon. God used Gideon to do 
some mighty rescues of his people, rescuing Israel from their enemies. Well, Israel wanted to make Gideon king. Here's what Gideon said to them in Judges 8, 23. I will not rule over you, nor my son, the Lord will rule over you. Your, in other words, your king is God, not me. Later on, the people did clamor for a human king. Uh, and God gave in to that demand that he chose Saul. He called, he, Saul was called the Lord's anointed. David after him was called the Lord's anointed. In other words, the true king was God. Saul and David were his representatives. But God was the true king delegating his power. They were the Lord's anointed. When we know that Saul failed, David failed. David's son Solomon failed. The kingdom was divided. Uh, then it was overthrown, and, and Israel was dominated by foreign powers, and they were taken into captivity. Um, but during, even during that downhill slide, and then throughout the captivity, God continued to speak. He sent reminder after reminder. He spoke to them. He made promises to them through his prophets. Basically saying, I have not forgotten you. Uh, I'm going to send you a king who will not let you down. And he will establish his kingdom on this earth. It'll be an everlasting kingdom. You know, in those verses we read in Matthew this morning, uh, the beginning of chapter 4. He quotes Isaiah, one of those prophets. And uh, Isaiah, the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 9 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness. On them a light shone. That's, it. That's what God spoke through Isaiah. And then just a few verses later, we have that wonderful promise that we all often hear at Christmas in, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, telling us what that light was that was about to dawn on the people. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And it goes on, tells how his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, uh, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end in the throne of David. He will, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. What I'm saying is this. Through Isaiah, God promised a child who would become a mighty king with an everlasting kingdom and who would rule in justice and righteousness. And through Jeremiah, God promised a branch. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I, I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Uh, another prophet we won't uh, see up here this morning, but uh, Ezekiel, in chapter 34, God promised to send a shepherd who would be a king to his people. Uh, he would rule them like a tender shepherd. That's in Ezekiel 34. Or, or the prophet Daniel. 
in Daniel, God promised a stone. A great stone would come and, and crush all the opposing nations and uh, the kingdoms of the world and, and uh, a stone that would, and would, and would um, become uh, a kingdom that would never be destroyed. What I'm saying is this, folks, uh, all throughout the history of Israel, and if you've studied your Bibles, you, you know this, that all throughout the history of Israel, uh, God's people have anticipated a time when God himself would come and rule as king. They looked for it. They longed for it. You know, I kind of think we long for that kind of a kingdom too, don't we? Isn't that why we look for peaceful, secure, beautiful places to live with wonderful scenery? Or isn't that why we go on vacations? You know, we look for, uh, we, we try to get away from the rat race and, and find a little peace, away from the crime, away, away from the busyness, away from the, from the hubbub. And, and you know, we, long, we have this inner longing for just a, a place of peace and rest and safety and security. We want, we want the magic kingdom, right? <laughs> My wife and I um, made a trip to Florida a couple of months ago with her sister and daughter from Canada. And, uh, yeah, we visited a number of places in, around Orlando and other places, and one of, those came, one of those was the Magic Kingdom, Disneyland, Disney World. Spent a whole day there. I wish I could say I felt like a kid again, but, but I didn't really. But there were rides, there were fantasy characters and thrills and smiles and, you know, cotton candy. Everyone, well, they call it the happiest place on earth. But we all know that's, it's just a temporary kingdom. It's not real. It only, the happiness only lasts as long as uh, your money lasts. Or, or as long as you can stand in line on a hot day. There was one ride, I think we waited in line 45 minutes. Just for five minutes of, of thrills. Uh, it was not all that magical at times. And, you know, Mickey has to get out of his costume and go home and deal with, with uh, whiny kids and dirty diapers and broken relationships and bills and all kinds of things. But we long for a kingdom that's real, a kingdom that's beyond any fantasy world. And uh, we long for a kingdom where sins are forgiven and, and uh, relationships are restored Love is practiced as the law. Peace, peace reigns over the atmosphere and the joy is lasting. It doesn't run out after a couple days. We long for a kingdom, in other words, where God rules, not man. This kingdom was promised by God. It was anticipated by the Jews. Now, they, granted, they didn't always... Visualize the kind of kingdom God was promising. Often their vision of the kingdom was very militaristic and nationalistic. You know, their, their, their people and only theirs. And um, it was more of a political kingdom. Nevertheless, they knew God had promised a kingdom. And here comes Jesus. Second point. So here comes Jesus. Announcing that that kingdom had arrived. The kingdom was announced by Jesus. He said in Matthew 4 and other, other gospels, he said, it's here. Your waiting is over. 
It's here. The kingdom is at hand. It has drawn near to you. Turn from your sins and accept the good news. What was he talking about? Was he talking about a geographical location? You know, something you can punch into your uh, GPS and find? Or, you know, or was he talking about a, a castle with a throne and a, and a, and a powerful army? What was, it, was he talking about? We usually think of a kingdom as a place or a realm where a king reigns. There are not too many kings uh, in our world today. The nation of Jordan, I believe, has a king. The movie theaters tell us that the jungle has a king, the lion. Um, but is the kingdom just a place? Is it just a piece of real estate? In the Bible, no. The kingdom refers to the rule or the reign of the king. And so the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven means the rule of God over his people. And so when Jesus came announcing that the kingdom was near, he didn't mean a certain place is near. He meant God's kingly authority is now breaking into your world. It's here. And you can be part of it. Um, he proceeded then to demonstrate it by showing its power by healing the sick and raising the dead and feeding hungry crowds of thousands and walking on water and casting out demons and showing his authority over all the powers of evil. And best of all, pouring out his grace and forgiving sins and giving broken people a reason to live again. Uh, he demonstrated the power of the kingdom when, when he announced it. Not only did Jesus announce it, he, he made it available. Because look what else he says. The, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Sometimes that's translated the kingdom of God is near. Or it has drawn near. And as near as I can determine it means the kingdom is within reach. It has come close. It is available now. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the, the printing on those and sometimes on the uh, side view mirrors on your automobile. Warning, objects in mirror may be closer than they appear. I especially pay attention to that. We have a very narrow garage and um, I'm very aware of that. But that's the case with the kingdom. It's much closer than you realize. In fact, Jesus went so far as to say is, it's here among you now. Matthew 12, 28, if it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What Jesus was saying was the kingdom of God is it's present. It's a present reality that you can experience now, right now. Now, of course, we have to balance this, don't we? With other scriptures that teach that the kingdom is still future. That passage I quoted earlier, Mark 14, 25, I will not eat and drink of, drink of the vine again with you until I eat and drink in the kingdom of God. He was referring to a time in the future. And there are many other scriptures that teach that the king will one day come in all of his glory and cleanse the earth of evil 
and establish his perfect rule. We long for that day. Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 11, 15, says the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his church, of his Christ. So, in other words, we're saying the Bible teaches, yes, the kingdom is already here. But it's not here yet in its fullest form. It's present, but it's still coming. It's, it's here and it's available, but in its fullest perfect form, it's not fully here yet. How can that be? Well, because the kingdom or the rule of God has come in the person in the ministry of Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, the king is here and the kingdom is here. He showed us what life is like when God is in charge and he walked among us. The king walked among us, made his kingdom available to all who would receive it, but not all have received it. Sin is still destroying lives. Um, People are still broken. We've been reminded, if you've been watching the news last night and this morning, we've been reminded that people are still unleashing their rage in horrible ways, whether it's against a, another race or a, or a government or, a, or authority or other people not like them, uh, unleashing their rage in mass shootings and other ways. Um, the kingdom has not arrived yet. But the day is coming when the king will return and put things right. He will judge evil and raise our dead bodies and rule in perfect righteousness and justice. Until then, the kingdom has come in the person of Jesus and has been made available. I I was helped to understand that concept by um, an illustration I read in a book by Dallas Willard. He said, as a child... I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the town, only in the form of lightning. And there was more of that than we could use. But in my senior year of high school, the REA, Rural Electrical Electrification Administration, the REA extended its lines into the area where we lived. And electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, uh, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving food, would be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in electricity and its arrangements We still had to understand it and take the practical steps involved in relying on it. So he says, those farmers, in effect, heard the message, repent, for the kingdom of electricity is at hand. In other words, turn, repent from your kerosene lamps and lanterns, your ice boxes and cellars, your scrub boards and rug beaters, your woman-powered sewing machines and your radio with the dry cell batteries. Anybody remember Dry cell batteries and old radios. Um, The power that could make their lives far better was right near them. Where by making simple arrangements, they could utilize it. Strangely, a few did not accept it. 
They did not enter, enter the kingdom of electricity. Some just didn't want to change. Some didn't think they could afford it. But those who did, those who took the step, uh, they found a whole new realm of life. Well, folks, that's what, that's what we're saying. The kingdom has arrived because the king has arrived. And, and he has made the kingdom now available through him. And that has some profound implications, doesn't it? If the kingdom of God has come through Jesus, that should affect some very important um, choices you and I make. Number one, you make sure you've entered the kingdom. Make sure you've entered the kingdom. John 3 verse 3 says, Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, those who accept Jesus as the king, you know, those who turn away from being their own king and running their own show, um, those who trust in him are born again into a new life. They're citizens of a new kingdom. Their sins are forgiven. They're under new management. They're alive with new power. How can this be? We might ask, well, that's because this king did something no king has ever done. He laid down his life for his enemies. He went to a cross and took their rebellion upon himself so that they could be set free and enter his kingdom. So make sure, make sure you've entered the kingdom. It's here, it's available, and the king is calling. But for those of us who have already accepted the king and we've entered the kingdom, what does this mean? What does it mean that the kingdom is here? Well, for one thing, I think in general it means your salvation is so much greater and bigger than you think. It's not, it's not just a ticket to heaven. It is that, praise God, but so much more. So much more because it means for one thing, you belong to a king right here and now. Jesus, who is Lord over all, and even now establishing his kingdom. You belong to a king. That gives you an identity. You belong to his other subjects in the kingdom as well. You belong to them. You're a community. Not only does it give you an identity, it gives you a purpose. Because you belong to a king who is who is in the process of building his kingdom. You're part of the, the story of God coming to this rebellious planet to rescue it and establish his kingdom and restore all things to the way he intended. He's on a mission and he's made you and me part of it. So, so we have a purpose. But more specifically, what does it mean that we're part of the kingdom of God? You know, you think of that single command in Matthew 6, where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that you're so worried about and you prioritize too highly sometimes, you get so anxious about, all these other things will take care of themselves. They'll be, you'll be taken care of. But seek first the kingdom. What does that mean? 
I think you should back up of just a few verses, what, what has helped me anyways, to back up a few verses in the same chapter where Jesus says, here's how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, your kingdom come. Let your kingdom rule over my life today, right now. Let my let your priorities, your kingly priorities, be my priorities in every relationship under my roof or in every interaction at work or in every comment I might make online. Your kingdom come. It means putting the king in charge. Even if you have to ask maybe a hundred times a day, whose kingdom am I serving right now? Whose kingship am I under? Uh, whose priorities am I living by? Uh, let your kingdom come right now. But it also means looking forward. Because the Bible says that the day is coming when the king will come in person. And he will put all things right. And because we can look forward to that and because we know it's coming... You and I can endure the hard times right now and the painful times and the suffering. We can persevere when it looks like everything's against us. It means your suffering is not the end of the story. It means the king who loves you has promised that one day, you and I will sit with him and fellowship with him and eat and drink with him in his kingdom forever. So we look forward to that day while we live doing the best we can with the help of his spirit to live under his loving kingly rule right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we pray you'll enlighten us by your Holy Spirit to see the king, to seek him to know who we are as his subjects, as his citizens, as his family. And we pray that you will empower us to seek his kingdom and to live under his kingship, that we might demonstrate to those around us what life looks like when the king, when the king is in charge. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.